Hi, and welcome to Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. I'm Lara Chambaker, and I'm here with my co-host, Jeremy Wartzman. I just snapped my fingers and pointed at you. <laughs> that doesn't really work for an audio vision medium, doesn't but... Doesn't You get the whole snapping thing, you know? You know what? Let's workshop it. Here at Jackie Winter, our roles put us right in the center of the action, in between client and creative, so we get to see all sides of the process. But we want to see more, so this season we're venturing outside our own industry to explore how others do it. Each week we're highlighting a different industry alongside a very special guest, and together we've been finding out what production looks like for different people and companies, making everything from video games to shoes, houses to software, and all sorts of other stuff. As always, it's an ongoing exploration of what the hell we're all doing and why and how we're doing it. This week, it's all about producing magazines, and I'm thrilled to say that we're joined by the absolutely fabulous Sophie Caligas. Hello. Sophie is the editor of Frankie Magazine, an international bi-monthly publication based right here in Melbourne that celebrates, inspires, and empowers a community of creatively inclined, curious, and kind-hearted readers. It covers all sorts of topics across art, design, photography, fashion, travel, music, craft, interiors, and real-life stories, and Sophie's responsible for bringing it all together. For editors, it seems there's actually a lot of production involved, artfully managing teams of writers, photographers, designers, art directors, and all sorts of other talents, carefully kneading it all into a publication that truly stands out amongst a sea of other titles each and every month, something that Sophie does with extraordinary skill. It's crazy to think that Frankie has been on the stands for 15 years now, and for a whopping seven of those, Sophie's been an integral part of making Frankie something that we here at Jackie Winter truly cherish and clearly people all across the world. Sophie, thank you so much for joining us. We're seriously so happy to have you with us today. Thank you for having me and so many nice words. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's our chance to finally, you know, compliment everything that you do because we really are big fans of Frankie. Huge. Huge. Jeremy, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I just came from yoga, hence my kind of active wear oh, at the moment. So yeah. zen, yeah. yeah. So zen. You're doing yoga now. I didn't know you did yoga. Yeah, no, it's, it's a new thing. You know, I've been kind of roped into it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, no, I'm just realizing my hips only go in one really bizarre direction. Yeah, your hips don't lie, Jeremy. <laughs> hips do not lie. It's very true. If we were still doing episode titles that were funny, that would be it. How are you, Lara? I saw some Spartan activity happening. Were you oh, kind of- yeah. Same thing as last year. I went to Bright for the Spartan race, didn't do the race, just was there as like support crew. And uh, my partner ran and he it was crazy. He shaved like an hour and a bit off his time from last year, which was nuts. And I just like kind of lay in the sun, but I got stuck with looking after other people's kids and dogs. So it wasn't quite the relaxing weekend I had planned. That was your own Spartan race, you know, an <laughs> internal Spartan. And I would say much harder. <laughs> Sophie, what physical feats have you endured in the last week? Oh, God, you've caught me off deadline. So the very few physical feats, <laughs> mostly moving from the couch to the kitchen to the backyard and back again. So That's a physical feat. Yeah. Uh, 100%. Excellent. Well, let's get stuck into it. <laughs> So, Sophie, you are amazing and there's so much we want to cover, but we've got you here today because we want to pick your brains about producing magazines. So let's start here. Can you tell us a bit more about what you do and how and why you got into it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yes, as you said, I edit Frankie Magazine. So as editor, my job's basically to oversee that process from start to finish, and that involves a lot of different types of tasks. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, sure. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's a lot of managing people, whether that's freelance contributors, writers, illustrators, photographers, and also working with the teams in-house, designers, my assistant editor, Emma, and our advertising and marketing teams mm-hmm. as well. 
And then, of course, there's kind of coming up with and choosing all the content that goes in the magazine, doing researching and interviewing and and writing a bit myself and also working with our designers on visual layouts and how all that content's actually going to be presented in print. Because that's a really key part of Frankie as well, right? Like the design is definitely. very much sort of on equal footing with the with the content itself. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely something that we're known for. There's like a very Frankie aesthetic yes. that people have come to know, which has evolved over the years. But um, yeah, it's definitely a big part of our, our brand and what we're all about. So um, yeah, that's a big part of the process mm. is sitting down with the design team and figuring out yeah layouts and what photos are going to be included just even little things like tweaking colors in patterns and that kind of thing it's there's a lot of thought that goes into that yeah I can imagine and so how did you because I know you've been at Frankie for seven years you were assistant just editor about. yeah just about <laughs> just about you were assistant editor before this and how did you yeah. how did you end up in the world of editorial well I actually didn't study editing in any <laughs> form I did a course at RMIT called Professional Communication, which... Um, same building as me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> building eight, I think yeah, it is. It. Yeah, so that was journalism, media and PR. And I actually majored in PR. But even though I enjoyed the course, I fairly quickly discovered that it wasn't something I was passionate about. But it was during that course that I kind of discovered editing was something that I was interested in. I was doing a group project and it was my responsibility to bring everyone's different parts together and like create flow between them all and make them all fit nicely. And I really enjoyed that part mm. of it. I was like, oh, okay, so maybe this is something I should explore. And then when I finished my course, I then did a bunch of work experience with different publications and got to know a bit more about how they actually work and what the different roles are that are available and found myself, my first full-time job was editing a website, which sadly no longer exists, RIP Everguide. Mm, um, Everguide. Yeah. Do you remember? Of course. <laughs> yeah. It's Melbourne it was, folklore now. Yeah. yeah. It was a good launch pad for me. And uh, while I was working there, that Literally, I was like so happy and I was like, I don't have any plans to leave this place unless something comes up somewhere like Frankie magazine because mm. I really loved Frankie. And literally like the next week, there was an ad for an assistant editor at Frankie and I was like, it's ah, the secret, man. The, you know, the, it yeah. seriously was. It was creepy. So yeah, yeah I just, wish it. It will come. <laughs> exactly. So I just applied for that and got it and haven't left and don't plan to. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's amazing. What skills do you think you kind of picked up and that let you make that transition? I mean, that's a pretty big leap. What do you think they saw in you to give you that kind of access? I mean, I knew the brand really well because mm. I'd been reading it for years. I was a mm. subscriber for a long time. I always was and still am a Frankie fan. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> know. Oh, I hate that magazine. No. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think editing just kind of feels like it's in my blood. I feel mm. like a bit of a wanker saying that. But, you know, I've, attention to detail is like something that comes really naturally to me. And I've always been a wordy person. I've written since I was a little kid. And, you know, English was one of my favorite subjects at school. And yeah, I don't know. I think that all kind of came together. Yeah. <laughs> and tell us about the transition from assistant editor now to editor editor. Oh, it was a big step. Um, it was something that I was very excited and very nervous about. But it's just been really great. I had our former editor, Joe Walker, was an excellent mentor for me over the years. She taught me so much. It's actually crazy how much I've grown since I started at Frankie in um, an editorial role. It's been really exciting just being able to have that kind of creative say on like what goes yeah. into the mag. And it's a very different relationship with the contributors 
I think it was quite a gradual transition for me, to be honest, because Joe was kind of training me up for it for mm. a while. So I would step in and help her with certain tasks that were a bit above what I was used to doing and getting more hands on. So yeah, by the time I stepped into it, it was definitely scary, but I felt like I was ready. Mm. And yeah, it's just really exciting being able to be running this ship basically because we mm. have such a great team and yeah, just seeing it all come together and these little, they're like my little babies every <laughs> issue. So. Well, okay, let's get into the issues then. Okay. So I know, I mean, I've worked in magazines as well before and never at that kind of like right at the helm in the way that you are. And it is stressful no matter what mm-hmm. cog in the system you are. And I can imagine for the editor, it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's, did you say, is it monthly? No. Bi-monthly. bi-monthly. Oh, okay. So bi-monthly. Tell us about the process between, you know, issue to issue. When, how do you figure out what's going into an issue? How do you pull it all together? What is that process that you go through every two months to bring a new issue to the stands? Sure. It's become quite a finely tuned process now. Basically to start at the very beginning, as soon as one issue goes to print, we launch straight into the next one and spend a few days, hopefully a week if we have the time, just coming up with as many ideas as we can. I say we, that being myself, our assistant editor, Emma, and our design team. So that's going out and talking to people and finding interesting stories, lots of time looking around online. I also get we have a submission email. So there's a bunch of things that come through to me, like really cool ideas and stories from people. So it's just gathering as much as we possibly can Mm. into just a really long list. And then we have what we call our editorial brainstorm day, which we actually did yesterday, Mm. which is where we get together out of the office and just talk through all our ideas and the pros and cons of different ones and how they could actually be presented in the magazine and what kinds of people might fit into certain stories and that kind of thing. So once that done. The next step is almost a bit like putting a puzzle together or a mixtape or something where I sit down with everything that we've talked through and pick and choose things that will fit together nicely. So it's making sure we're covering more serious stories and then some more fun ones, Mm. like visually exciting things and real life stories and stuff like that. that. Balance, right? Exactly. And I imagine you also have to figure out if you go, I want to do this story, but what's needed to actually make that story happen? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely something, the feasibility of different things is definitely something that has to come into play as well. And then from there, the commissioning starts. So once we know what's going in, it's getting all our freelancers, um, which we have a really great stable of freelancers. Mm. And we always have new contributors as well who get in touch. It's just farming everything out Mm. and getting the ball rolling and all that content being created. And in that time while that's happening, you know, I do some writing myself and it's also working with the advertising team and and like people in-house, all those other little aspects of the magazine being put together. And then as the copy and stuff starts flowing in, completed, then sub-editing begins. Mm. So that's all the kind of structural edits and getting tone and just basically making content as good as it can be. That then goes to the proofreader. (laughs) So we have an external proofreader who Mm. just double checks everything. And then that goes on to the design team where layouts begin. And then that's that whole visual part that we were talking about earlier where we're we're like nutting out how things are going to look in the mag. 
And so this is an eight-week process you're saying generally? Yeah, ideally, yeah. <laughs> ideally? <laughs> Occasionally we have a little bit less depending on what's happening. But uh, There's a lot yeah. to do over eight weeks. It is, yeah. We have, we've got it down to a finite now, I think. I'm like. curious how long some of those stages take. Like, for example, you know, things have been proved and now you're doing layouts. What kind of chunk does that take up of the eight weeks? Oh, look, because things come in in dribs and drabs, mm. it can kind of start early sometimes and it kind of happens over maybe like three weeks I'd Mm. say the final week before we go to print is like everything is already laid out but it's Mm. just doing like final final proofread of the magazine Mm. and any last little design tweaks then but I'd say probably maybe about three weeks Mm. for design before that. There's so much that goes into it I mean what I keep coming back to is just the number of people in the different disciplines you know that you're working with that you're managing Mm. And also whenever it comes to something like this, it is this big collaborative creative output. There has to be an environment that's very supportive to allow people to actually feel comfortable to put all those ideas on the table and to workshop them with other people. And a lot of that, I think, will come from the editor. You know, part of your role is kind of cultivating that environment and making sure that people feel comfortable and supported within that kind of network. So how do you do that? And how do you manage that across a team that's also largely made up of freelancers that aren't necessarily in your office all the time? Mm, Yeah, a lot of the freelancers I've been working with for years, I've never actually met in real life before, which is a really strange thing. Oh, we know that feeling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they're from all over Australia, all over the world. But there's always a lot going on and it is stressful, but we're quite a relaxed team as well. Mm. Like we're really silly (laughs) together and like, I don't know, I think we just try and create a vibe where it's a safe space. Mm. It's a safe space where people just know that no one's going to judge you. Like, even though there's so many different teams, it's quite a flat structure as mm. well. So there's no like intimidation or anything like that. Yeah. Within no, the just team. A scary boss in a corner office. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like one of the biggest idiots in the office. So, um, yeah. <laughs> it's just like Jackie Winter with our yeah. boss. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, Very I see funny. that look. <laughs> I'm curious a bit more about the editorial process. You mentioned the design team is kind of part of it as well. And you've also published so much content as well. Like, you know, I, I can imagine there might be a risk of repeating kind of certain themes and you come out kind of bi-monthly as well. So you're always kind of like there's a current events kind of aspect of things too. How do you ultimately decide, you know, what this content is going to be? Are you the person who makes the ultimate decision? And I guess what kind of shapes that? Yeah, I am the person who ultimately decides. We definitely try not to repeat content, which is kind of hard because there's, as we said, 15 Mm. years worth of history. But there's definitely themes that come up again and again, and we just try and approach them in different ways so it feels fresh and more relevant to maybe how like a particular topic is being talked about culturally more recently. And so, you know, obviously things change Mm. in in the discussion. Do you find it hard to come up with that content sometimes? Like I feel like if I was in that role, there would be times where I'm like, oh my God, this is so much I want to cover. And other issues, it would be like, what are we going to put? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, There are definitely moments when I panic and I'm like, I'm tapped out. I've got nothing else to give. But I mean, you look around online and you talk to people and there's always something new that comes up. Um, One thing I love, I always see you because we're friends on Facebook and I always see you on Facebook asking questions, these kind of thought starters or seeing if anyone has these interesting stories in different areas. And some of them are crowdsourcing. I love it though. And I think it's such a great way to kind of build this content up. And you obviously have a really great network of friends and Facebook's the perfect platform to do that. And I find it really interesting when I see, I mean, so many journalists use Twitter or or Facebook to kind of crowdsource Mm. this sort of feedback or information. I'm curious what kind of stories have come out of that. 
Well, because we don't have a lot of celebrity content in mm. the magazine, you know, there might be a, a big writer or musician or something that yeah. we cover, but generally it's all just normal people with interesting stories. Yeah. So, gosh, there's been so much that's come out of my call-outs yeah. online because, <laughs> you know, we have features about, God, it's anything from how couples met or like just people who are doing things differently in their yeah. life. So like there was one where it was, I think we called it going against the grain or something. So there was, you know, one woman who had proposed to her male mm. partner and there was someone who just never learned how to drive and someone who, <laughs> <That's> um, <me>. <laughs> but like, I don't know, it was like things that people might assume yeah, totally. you should have done by now. And it's just people who are like, well, I didn't and who cares? And this is yeah. fine. And this is my reason. So like, you know, it's all those kind of real life stories that have come out of the call outs online. Yeah. I find it fascinating how, yeah, social media is such a useful tool for that because I think I always see, I don't know whether it's documentaries or it's usually with podcasts where they find these, they have a theme and they find these stories. And I'm like, I wish I had someone who had this story, but how do you find that? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's so interesting how social media plays into it. My favorite one was very early on. I remember talking to Joe and saying like, I just really want to do a story about a ventriloquist that's not creepy. <laughs> and I, very hard to do. <laughs> I did a call out and then like five minutes later, we just had this like super cute local lady who was really into ventriloquism and oh. we're just like, there you go, done. done. Like minutes. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. All right. So uh, let's get back into production then, because as much as I want to keep talking about that stuff, <laughs> uh, that's what we're here to do. So, okay. You're in the middle of production. What does an average week look like for you? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> look, weeks aren't super structured for me because there's so many different parts to the to the role. So at any point I might be writing or commissioning or, you know, styling a fashion shoot or mm. shopping for props for some weird shoot we're doing like at the $2 <laughs> store or yeah, working with the ad team. So there's not a lot of structure, if I'm being honest. Obviously at different parts of the cycle because it is two mm. months, there are different things that I'll be focusing more on. Yeah, there's not really. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I think that's the nature set. of that job. Yeah. One thing I've noticed in Australian publishing, especially, is that the population is so small, the teams are a lot smaller as well. Mm. So like you say, like, you know, you're, I mean, as the editor, you are kind of involved in everything. But also I know that people who work in publishing in Australia, that kind of tends to come with the territory. They're doing Definitely. a bit of everything. Whereas like in the States, you look at a masthead and there's like 100 people working on something. Someone is kind of a sub editor, a fact checker for a specific department, for example you know when you speak to other people in the industry like yeah do you think your experience is unusual for Frankie or do you think it's kind of yes no I think you're exactly right like in Australia they are they do tend to be smaller teams yeah it kind of blows my mind when I don't know watch like a documentary about Vogue or something and it's like each little part is siphoned off to a different person in a different department but I really like that I really like having the small team and being able to be hands-on yeah exactly it keeps it really interesting always having different things to be doing it's not repetitive job that's for sure <laughs> especially as an editor like you actually do get to be involved in all the different aspects rather than sometimes editors in other larger landscapes it's just really like a sign off, you know, you're like yeah. signing off on things and you don't really get to be hands on with it. So it's, I think it's amazing how hands on you get to be. And I think we really do see that in the final publication, which is great, you yeah. know. Let's talk a bit more about the tools, my favorite part of the whole production pie. You're working with so many different, well, I mean, there's so many different kind of parts of this. I mean, from just a communications perspective, 
I'm assuming you have lots of logistics in terms of how are you communicating with all your freelancers, all your staff, et cetera. How are you managing all the kind of copy that's coming in? How are you giving feedback? I'd love to kind of talk about that, like I guess the external tools as well as kind of the internal tools as well, because I haven't been doing this for a while. But I know that we had to cobble so many things together when we were dealing with magazines when I was working in New York. It's like you had, we were using Quark Express and you had to use a certain kind of plugin that allowed editors to kind of put their copy in and then other people needed to collaborate. And so really multiple people collaborating on text was a real interesting technical challenge. And then putting that all into design and then designers working on that. And I remember we used to use a map, which was just kind of thumbnails of all the different pages. So you could actually see how things flowed. And so it was this really amazing kind of circuitous conversation. So, yeah, um, can you tell us a bit more about kind of the external and internal tools that I guess you use yourself? I feel like it's going to be really disappointing because we're quite <laughs> old school, like literally like email. Word and Google Docs is pretty much the extent of what I use. Mm. Like it's very old fashioned, mm. but like I'm just emailing with contributors all the time. They send through Word docs uh, and do all the editing in there. How do you keep track of all the contributors? Like, you know, is there kind of, do you use any kind of CRM or any kind of like fancy Rolodex or anything? It's all it Google Docs. Yeah. It's all, yeah, I've got so many spreadsheets and Google Docs going on. And yeah, within our office, we have Skype and we communicate that way. But it, again, it's like a small team. So we mm. also just walk over to the other person's desk and talk to them. Um, Wait, well, what is this? Yeah, yeah. no, communication face to face. Sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what about internally? I'm assuming you're on the kind of creative cloud. I was like, how are you kind of traffic, you know, content from when it's kind of submitted until it goes to the printer? That is a good question. The production team is like <laughs> a little bit out of my realm. I don't actually know all the tools they use. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So something comes in, I'm assuming kind of Google Docs, and then like, you know, you just kind of file things locally and then it's just kind of all picked exactly. up and kind of moved through a pipeline. Yeah, we just have an online server. It's, it's all email. It's Google all Docs email. changed everything for writers, though. It's the best. Like, especially yeah. if you are working with an editor or you are an editor yourself, I get, I remember getting really frustrated if writers would give me Word docs, because then I was like, how do we track which one's the, the latest? I just would drive me mad. And I love being able to see the changes or revert to other versions or whatever it is. Like Google Docs really changed the game. I'm real old school, though. Like literally we'll print out stories and get yeah. out a red pen and like make edits and stuff. So I don't know. I'm a very tactile person. <laughs> like yeah. to physically be editing and stuff. So. That's so funny. I would be happy if I never had to like handwrite anything ever again. Oh, really? Just, yeah. Like I love it. The only thing I handwrite still is my journal because some part of me feels like it's not a journal unless it's handwritten. It's but it's like, way. it's not. Yeah. I, I my hand can't keep up with my brain, you know? And so it just, no one can. Do you, <laughs> do you print physical copies of the magazine? Like, you know, kind of a map like before it kind of goes out to print like just to kind of see what it's like yeah definitely so we have we call it the book basically a font. just like the devil's like brother that's right <laughs> um yeah no it's we print out every page and like the final proof that i do i'm literally going through with a red pen mm. and a highlighter and then sitting down after that's complete with the designer and ticking off every edit and just making mm. sure that's all done so until every page in the book has a big tick on it mm. yeah that's it's all process on paper. Wow. Well, that mm. leads us neatly into our next topic. Uh, it sure does. <laughs> Disaster stories. <laughs> Look, like everyone we've spoken to this season, when you're managing this many moving parts, something's bound to go wrong. So I want to hear, like, what are some of the main challenges that you have to face doing this sort of work? And when something goes wrong, how do you fix it? Mm -hmm. Luckily, there haven't been too many crazy disasters, but I think the biggest thing that causes us stress is if something falls through at the mm. last minute, whether that's like a photo shoot because 
the weather has turned sour and we can't shoot outside or, you know, someone that we wanted to interview has had like some big thing happen in their life and they're not available. You know, we, we always have the same number of pages to fill. So yeah. if something falls through, it's like, okay, mad scramble to figure out what's going to go in there instead. So yeah, that's kind of the biggest thing. And, you know, sometimes we have stories waiting, like we have a bit of a backlog Back and we have something it, yeah. that we can grab and go, okay, this is now going to be yeah. the next thing we work on. But occasionally, you know, depending on what type of position that story was filling in the mag, mm. we might not have something. So then it's like, oh God, okay. let's Yeah. Just like go. it's a big five page feature or something, you know? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of the biggest thing. Is yeah. proofreading a nightmare? I love it so much. Me too. I love proofreading. I honestly get so much joy out of it. Yeah. And if I find a mistake, it's just the most satisfying. Oh thing my god, I so agree with you. Oh, that's how I get my kicks. I love it. <laughs> what about in terms of um, like fact checking? Has anything ever come up? Like, I mean, you commission so much stuff, like both Oof, like, both yeah. artwork and text. And I mean, I know from my own experience that like, yeah, you do enough things enough times, like something will go kind of astray there. And especially because your work is in print, you know, it has a very kind of long tail. You can't just delete it if kind of something's wrong or if kind of an if something kind of goes against an advertiser kind of something like that have you ever had to put out any kind of major fires there in your roles I wouldn't say major fires there have been one or two facts that haven't quite been right which kills me because mm. I am such a perfectionist and take so much pride in things being accurate mm. but um Look, it hasn't turned into a big thing and we might just get like one or two readers being like, uh, actually, we noticed this wasn't quite right. And we might just send out something online being like, whoops, you know, everyone makes mistakes and we made one and here's the actual fact that it should have been. So hugely passionate readership that's like kind of so you know, engaged. very kind of very engaged kind of with everything. So mm. like you know I'm I'm sure you're you're having to think about them in those times. But definitely it, it seems like they've come along on the ride for the last fifteen years or so. So Yeah, they will pull us up if there's something that they don't agree with. But they're not out to bring us down. They're like mm. everyone's really positive generally. So look, it's really nice when people are engaged enough to bother writing in if there's something they spot. But luckily that hasn't happened many times. Yeah. And do you feel you ever have to kind of skirt the line in terms of keeping advertisers happy and like you know because you're you're kind of the person tying everything together so mm. is there anything you know specifically kind of part of your job that you that you think about or would you say you're completely editorially kind of independent and it just kind of all works out that way in the end look advertisers don't have any sway over the content mm. that we run we do create like branded content more recently that's something that we've been building more and more and yeah that we definitely work with them to make sure that that content is relevant to what the, the you know the messaging that they're trying to get across but yeah no editorially you know it's it's all at our discretion and mm. you know we want it all to be very genuine we're not commercially led as mm. far as editorial goes so Speaking of advertisers, that is something I wanted to touch on, which is this question of funding. Obviously, it's no secret to any of us that the magazine industry in general has had a hard time mm. for a whole lot of different reasons, many of which we've talked about on this show in past seasons before. But there are also several that have really managed to kind of fight that. And if anything, those kind of pressures have actually helped them stand out above the rest. Mm. I feel like Frankie's one of those that's managed to do really, really well in an environment that's been really crippling for a lot of magazines. Mm. How has it been actually, because I mean, yeah, you've been at Frankie for seven years and will have weathered some of this storm and probably still continue to do so. Yeah. What are the main issues that you've been feeling and how have you guys managed to battle against them? Mm. I mean, I think 
a big one is the the internet and like Kindles and all things digital and people just not being inclined to go and pick up a physical copy of something to read. And pay for it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But look, I think providing content that people can't just find everywhere online. I think that's a big thing. Mm. Um, something that feels special and and also a physical product that people want to put on their coffee table, you know, like mm. it's part of an experience. It's like that's where the visuals come in, you know. It, it makes it more exciting than just Obviously, I think the editorial is great, but you know, <laughs> when you it when is. you couple that with something beautiful to look at, like that makes a big difference. Yeah, it's partnership for sure. Yeah, exactly. And our readers always talk to us about like the ritual of reading Frankie. You know, mm. they their kids are gone to bed, or their you know their deadlines finished, or they've come back home after like a big day at work, whatever. And they talk about like sitting back, reading Frankie, having a cup of tea or a mm. wine or whatever, and. I think that's all part of it. It's just like creating this experience more than just mm. something to read. It's, yeah, it's a bit bigger than that. Amazing. And I guess before we close, I'm, that kind of question of relevance is kind of so interesting because I look at an issue of Frankie today and I'm still I'm still interested in it, which is kind of amazing considering, yeah, 15 years ago, I was a very different person. I was still interested in that content then as well. And, you know, you've been in the role for kind of a while and your audience has grown and everything. Like, what do you personally do to make sure, I guess, that that content is kind of still relevant? And how do you kind of think about that in terms of, I guess, your, your readership aging and taste changing? And I guess both personally kind of as an editor, as well as keeping up with your readers as well or evolving your readership? Hmm. It's kind of tricky because, you know, we're not focusing on one particular age group. Like mm. we try and cover content that teenagers would be interested in but also you know we have readers in their 70s 80s as well so we try and Jeremy yeah (laughs) what are you in Frankie like 15 years ago (laughs) yes as a surprise 60 year old yeah (laughs) um but yeah so we we try and we can't be everything to everyone but we Mm. try and cover a broad range of life experiences and I think also just keeping up to date with things that people are talking about culturally and whether that is like pop culture or just current events, you know. We're doing a lot about sustainability and climate change and stuff because people want to talk about that, but in a positive way because there's enough doom and gloom out there. Mm. And, you know, relationships and stuff, like it's human experience. It's stuff that people are always going to be interested in. Yes. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, and I think, yeah, one of the biggest things that I applaud you for is how you're kind of open to contributors. And I, and I think that's also a very, maybe an Australian thing as well. It's like, it feels like there's actually kind of like a pathway like to support writers and illustrators as well. And like having that first step out into the world in that way, but in a way that it doesn't feel like it's not just a platform for emerging talent, but also really kind of established people who have made their bones there as and well. And making sure that that content still fits within the overall kind of voice and tone and yeah. everything. It's, yeah, it's quite a feat. And you guys do it really, really well. Thank uh, you. Wrapping things up, sadly, uh, in all of your time producing Frankie, editing Frankie, pulling it all together every two months, what's something you've learned that you would want to pass on to anyone who's also interested in doing this kind of work? Mm-hmm. I think something important I have learned is learning when to step away and know mm. that something is good enough as someone who, That's a hard one. <laughs> yeah, as someone who is really is a perfectionist, pretty anal really. It's so easy to just keep going and going and going on whether it's a piece of writing or an illustration, whatever, but just being able to step away and know that 
the readers probably won't notice those extra 10% that you improved it. And it's not to say that you shouldn't have pride in what you're doing, but it can also be really stressful if, yeah, you don't know when to go, okay, that is good. That is good enough. And stressful are the people you're working with. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's true. I think that's very good advice and something <laughs> I hope to maybe learn one day. <laughs> Sophie, thank you so incredibly much for joining us. If people want to learn more about you, about Frankie, the work that you guys do, where can they go? Well, frankie.com.au is our website and we're on all socials at Frankie Magazine. Nice. Yes. Why is it called Frankie? Uh, the founders, Lou and Lara, just really liked that name. They thought it was <laughs> cool. I always quite, wondered if there was something else to <laughs> no, no, I think it was just like a name that didn't suggest anything in particular. Yeah, it was it like, is. it can be whatever you want it to be. Well, thank you for answering my, <laughs> my long unanswered question. Yeah. All right, before we go, here's what's been open in our tabs this week. To get these links directly to your inbox, you can sign up to our newsletter by going to jwg.is slash newslettering, or you can head to our website, jackiewinter.givesyouthe.biz. All right, Jeremy, what do you got? What do I got? I have, I always have such good things in my tabs. Anyway, um, I... <laughs> you're just <laughs> you boasting about yourself. this before. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really proud of it. It's like my fucking bonsai tree, you know? It's like I, right. I, I trim it. And, you know, you don't trim it. That's the problem. <laughs> I do trim. I trim. Okay. What do you um, got? Well, it, it's, it's completely boring. It's a picture of a box, but I, I just really kind of like this. It's from Shippatu. It's my kind of my freight forwarder from the States. So basically, if I oh, want to yeah. order something. Your fake address. Yeah, exactly. And so basically, I ordered four things from Amazon and I expected them to come in one order, but it only kind of came in one. And when it comes in, you go to it and it sends like a little photo of the box like there as it kind of comes in. So I'm just, it's there in my open tab. I'm looking at this one box. I'm waiting for my kind of second box to arrive. And then like they do amazing services. If they actually open the boxes, they will consolidate it and then kind of send it back over. Anyway, if you're looking for, um, this is not a sponsored post at all, <laughs> but I highly recommend Ship It Do if you want to get stuff from the States. It's a really good service. I'm annoyed that that's the link that you were boasting about. At the same time, I do need a Florida. So I'm kind of happy you brought it up today. It's the truth. Truth, though. This is literally what's in my open tabs. This is, I'm speaking my truth and honesty, I, think, I think people respond to that. Honesty is good. Well, keeping us on that same trail of honesty, <laughs> Sophie, what do you got in your open tabs this week? Oh, God. It'll come as no surprise to anyone who knows me, but it's dog related. <laughs> Does not come as a surprise to me. <laughs> uh, I discovered an Instagram account, which is at hunger oh. for words. Oh. I'm obsessed. Do you Keep know going. it? Yes, I'm obsessed. I've oh watched every single post. Yeah, every same. single one. It's a, it's a speech pathologist in the States who's taught her dog to communicate and essentially talk using a soundboard. So it's insane, Jeremy. Stella, you have to watch this. The dog Stella can say things like want outside ball and tells the owner that it wants to go and play outside. And it's like, all done happy like after it's finished its meal and stuff and or it's it just something scary and it's like no no outside look yeah look, look outside yeah oh it's my god my incredible. favorite is when the dad jake is about to come home and you know how like dogs know before you do that like someone's coming home they hear or smell or whatever and it'll run to its little soundboard and so it'll be like jake come home happy it's amazing and then like Blows two minutes mind. later jake will show up at the door yeah. it's crazy she's apparently. a genius this is amazing. I'm looking at this video now. If they can only hook up like the Arnold Schwarzenegger soundboard from Kindergarten Cop <laughs> to get him to prank his owners as well, then that would complete the soundboard circle. Lara, what do you have? Oh, I have something that's 
nothing to do with either of those things. You, you know, there's lots of like open university courses that, and there's lots of free ones as well. The universities from all over the world do these sort of short segmented courses. And uh, I've been signing up to random ones for the last few years, but I signed up to one recently called Greatest Unsolved Mysteries of the Universe. <laughs> But it's actually really cool. So it's kind of an entry-level astrophysics course run by ANU. The problem is that entry-level astrophysics is still astrophysics. And for someone who dropped out of math in year 10, there's like a huge amount of math. So I've then been going back. I have to watch every video like 40 times and then I'm on YouTube and I'm watching. There's this amazing guy called Math Antics who does these great videos explaining math concepts to like small children, but it works really well for me too. And I have to say, like, if you've never studied something just for fun that is completely, completely not for your work, not for like just because you want to learn it, it is the greatest feeling when it's like something's really, really hard. And I spent two hours trying to understand this one equation the other day and I eventually, eventually clicked and I was able to understand this equation that they use to kind of measure the different wavelengths of light in a planet that's like billions of light years away and figure out what kind of compounds it's made up of. And it was just so cool to be able to send not just general concept, but the actual like the equations. These are obviously so entry level, but I'm so impressed. It was awesome. And I'm just really, really enjoying it. And uh, yeah, it's on EDX if anyone's interested in doing it. Awesome. Thanks, Lara. No worries. Alrighty. Thanks so much, everyone. That will do us for now. I'm Lara Chambaker. He's Jeremy Wartsman. And this has been Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. Our theme music is by totally unrelated to our company, Melbourne-based musician, Jackie Winter. You can check out his stuff on soundcloud.com slash Jackie Winter. If you want more episodes, archives of all of our shows can be found at jackiewinter.givesyouthe.biz. And to receive beautiful artwork, the links to our open tabs and updates on all things Jackie Winter in one neat little weekly email package, you can sign up to our newsletter at jwg.is slash newslettering. You can also find us on Instagram via at Jackie Winter, and you can email us any love letters, hate mail, or general feedback at podcast at jackiewinter.com. I know I've said it so many times, but we love hearing from you. Remember, this is an enhanced podcast, so if you listen to this using Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or Castro, you'll be able to see any relevant visual content as we speak. And if you work for an advertising agency or design studio and you're interested in our live extended version of the show called Open Tabs, be sure to check out opentabs.rodeo for more info. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Catch you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, before we go, what's been open in our tab? Wait, let me say that again. All right, before we go, <laughs> fuck off, fuck off, Jeremy. You really had excited. to you had to reach deep down there to, to find that nugget of enthusiasm. Hot. Okay, shut up, Jeremy. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Quiet in the courtroom. Oh. <laughs>